And good evening. Welcome to Bible study tonight. So good to see you. Trust you've had a wonderful day and an encouraging day and a blessed day and a good day. And looking forward to just a good time in the house of the Lord tonight. Wednesday night services and Bible studies are always precious and unique and needed. And I find that many times in my life, it's the Wednesday night message or service or fellowship that just lifts me. And I thought about that as I was thinking about the music tonight. And there's a song entitled Higher Ground. And the chorus goes like this. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. What a hymn for a Wednesday night. A Bible study. If you're with us in the room, stand. If you're watching us online, I hope and pray that you will at least think your way through the hymn. Hum your way through the hymn. Sing the chorus with us if you can. Higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. My faith on heaven's stable land. A higher pain that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay. Where doubts arise and fears dismay, though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has got the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand, my faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till hell I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land. A higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that the higher ground we stand on is in you. Father, we just thank you for Wednesday night's Bible studies. As Pastor says, it's a midweek picker-upper. Father, I just thank you for all the blessings you give to the church and the property around the church. Many here, they see improvements, but they don't know how God's hand has touched this place. Father, I just thank you for all that. 
Father, I thank you that united together in Christ, we can stand together. When we divide, we fall. Father, just uh, bless us tonight as we hear the Bible study message. Father, just thank you for anyone that's here that has not learned about you or heard about you, that tonight might be the night that they open their heart and allow you to come in their heart, accept you for their salvation. They can spend eternity with you. Father, I just thank you for everything you do for each one of us. Father, thank you for being watching over us. And Father, thank you for protecting us. Father, be with us now as we turn around and wave to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and wave to your neighbor. seated we're all waving and high-fiving and air hugging and and uh i don't know i'm looking forward kind of getting back to greeting one another with a holy kiss to be honest we're desperate and uh that, that that will be tremendous um welcome especially those of you that are watching online tonight we're delighted to have you with us and of course our church family a lot going on on the property. I'll make a couple of announcements here before we have our prayer request. As you drove in tonight, you should possibly have seen that concrete has begun to be poured on the property. And uh, it looks just beautiful. They've poured um, the drive behind the church. They've poured my parking spot first, as they should have, out this way. And then uh, goes that direction. Tomorrow, they're actually going to pour... The new drive, uh, for the longest time, we've always just had one entrance on the west side. Now you, now we'll have two entrances and two exits. And so they're going to pour the far west uh, entry and exit. And Lord willing, that, not tomorrow, Friday. And that will run all the way to the back back here. So when you come to church on Sunday... You'll be able to get a beautiful picture of what the parking lot is going to look like and just the depth of it, the scope of it, and uh, we're excited for all of that. So please continue to pray. We praise the Lord for His provision. As you came in tonight, I don't know if you checked the board back there, but we went very quickly from 72 lights to 78 lights and when you take 78 and multiply that by 9,100, that's over $700,000 that God has brought in in less than a year uh, for the building fund. It'll be okay if you smile and say amen to that or even a clap to that will be wonderful as we rejoice in that. And we still got a long way to go, but uh, we're approaching this the same way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And so one day at a time. And so continue to pray. Don't forget, announcement-wise, I believe the youth department has moved their activity to this coming Saturday. It was rained out last week. Speaking of rain, thank you for praying for our college students that are in Pensacola. I know the Neelys have family there. The Powells have family there. My kids are there. Um, uh, the Beasley's kids are there. We have a lot of students that are there, and they're getting pummeled up there. Tommy's on the third story and it's a short dorm that he's in he he has water coming through his roof through the window floor is soaked um people we know had trees fall on their houses and so they've suffered a lot of damage up there so far i haven't heard of any loss of life that that would be in our 
our world, but pray for those folks. I think the storm's supposed to make an eastward turn. And if you, you know anything about hurricanes, which we all do, that right side is that dirty side. I think they're going to get walloped again. So you don't know what walloped is. It's going to hit them again as it goes by through there. So pray for them. Keep them in your prayers, if you would, please. Um, Beulah Simons called me tonight, and she said, Pastor, I just got to praise the Lord. Um, Philip, you know, has uh, prostate cancer, and his PSA count almost dropped to zero. They, it, God has just touched him. Um, it's marvelous. she won't mind me telling you this but I think she's in her 90s and she was doing a jig man she was dancing on that phone just praising the Lord and uh, what a joy it is to to give God glory for that Uh, some folks that we need to pray for would be Arlene Whelan of course as she's uh, her diagnosis did come with some hope for cancer and I talked with her daughter and so we're lifting her Tiffany Hernan, the Hernan family, Tiffany will undergo a major surgery this Monday, and she's coveting the prayers of her church. We're going to have a private prayer meeting with her afterwards. Louise Williams, a precious lady in our church battling cancer, and Louise would definitely want our prayers for her, and she's strong in the Lord. Somebody, and I don't know if I got this right or not, but somebody dropped off a card and um, I don't know who you are, but you must be a doctor because we couldn't read your writing. And it said something like pray for cophilia or ophelia. This is a lady here has been told that she has leukemia. And, um, but due to her age, not much can be done with the physical doctor, but much can be done with the great physician. And so let's pray for her. Marlene Drummond uh, is one of our shut-ins. And they found COVID in her facility again, and so they're putting them back under lockdown. And uh, she said, just pray for our spirits, pray for our comfort, pray for our encouragement. Speaking of praying for encouragement, Tracy White, of course, her husband went home to be with the Lord. And Tracy might be watching tonight or she'll catch up later. Just pray. She's just grieving the loss of her husband. Her kids are grieving the loss of their dad. Of course, if you lose someone that quickly, you have insurances and things to deal with. And so she just needs God's grace and strength moment by moment. And Tracy would ask us for prayer tonight. Uh, Esteban White is praising the Lord. Uh, We prayed for him for medical tests. He got a good result from there. Uh, Ron and Doris Giles, I'm sure they're watching tonight. Their dear friend, Penny Bragg, Penny Clinton Penny, wrote uh, much of the marriage curriculum that we use here in our marriage classes. She's been diagnosed with breast cancer, Penny has, and so we want to pray for her. Rick and Cynthia still, they, they sit back there. They're not here tonight. Their daughter, Suzanne, um, they thought she was having strokes. She's, I think she's 43 years old. They don't, they don't believe it was strokes now. It's something different, but we need to pray for her. They would cover prayers for her daughter. Uh, Brother Joe Maneo, sitting in the back back there, asked prayer for his grandson, Mark. Uh, being deployed to the Middle East as a helicopter medevac pilot. And so this young man needs our prayers as well. So we have reason to rejoice with those that are rejoicing, and we have reason to weep with those that are weeping tonight. And so these are the requests that have been called in, emailed in, or phoned in. And uh, would you pray with me at this time with these, and then we'll have our service. Heavenly Father, God... The Wednesday night service has been, and Lord, I trust and pray always will be, 
a prayer and Bible study service. And God's people on Wednesday night have been tremendously faithful to pray. We have seen wonderful answers to prayer. Miracles. Philip Simon is testifying to the miraculous hand of God tonight. Um, Esteban is testifying to the miraculous hand of God tonight. Lord, others are leaning on the miraculous hands of God. And so thank you so much for hearing prayer and answering prayer. Father, I'm sure that there are needs in the room tonight and you know those hearts. You know the depth of need. You know the depth of hurt, pain, discomfort, um, loneliness, despair, financial need, relational need, mental need, employment need. Lord, you know the needs of all, all of the people, myself included. And so, God, I thank you that you can meet those according to your perfect will, and I would lift them at this time. Father, these on the request tonight that need physical healing, I pray that you would touch them. Lord, these on the request tonight that need the strong hand of God in protection, I pray that you would touch them and protect and keep them. Lord, some need the, the, the hand of, of encouragement, the pro, protection from depression, and all of those things. I pray that you would guard their souls, God. And David said when his soul was cast down, he would hope in his God. I pray that you would become their hope. And so, Lord, we, we lift them and we trust you for them. Thank you for your protective hand for our students that are at college, our loved ones that are in the Pensacola, Mobile, Alabama area. Lord, I pray your marvelous hand of protection still upon them. And God, just thank you for that ability to trust you. Lord, personally tonight, the service is going to be very different. And... I just want you to empower what we're about to do. And I want you to speak to every heart, God, and my heart included. And I pray tonight that you would just show yourself mightily in our in our soul, in our spirit, and the communication of truth into our homes. And so I'm trusting you for this, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us for any time... You know that I have a couple of sayings as the pastor that I kind of put out there once in a while for our church. The one thing is, sometimes you have to do church as unusual. You don't ever want everybody to fall into a rut when they come into church. Sometimes I like to just throw you a curveball or a ball in the dirt to see if you'll swing at it, to use a baseball analogy. What does that mean? That means I don't want you to get too comfortable. The other way thing is, sometimes I say that The church is going to try something, and one of two things are possible. It's either going to be awesome, or it's going to be awful, right? You've probably used that in your own personal life, haven't you? I hope you give me credit for that. So tonight's going to be awesome, or it's going to be awful. March 1st, 2020, God had laid on my heart to preach a series of messages on the home, on a Christian home. And I had those messages, and I have those messages. Um, I was able to preach Sunday night, March 1st, a message. I was able to preach Sunday night, March 8th, a message. And then Sunday, March 15th, 
something called COVID-19 showed up. We did not have a service on that Sunday night. Um, during the course of all that we have been going through, we were not able to get back to our Sunday night service. And so this series and this topic has just been sitting there waiting for God to advance it. And I believe the time is now for God to advance uh, this series. I think the subject of this series is needed. I think it's fitting for a Wednesday night, especially as you think about all the children that are on the property and all the youth that are here. Whenever you preach a series of messages, the two hardest messages to preach are the introduction and the closing. They're difficult to preach because of the vastness of those two, of, of amount of material that those two messages must cover. And so back on March 1st, God enabled me to preach a message that was an introduction message to this subject. In preparation for tonight, I went back into the um, podcast and went back into the video series and watched this message about four or five times. And I thought within myself and sat within myself for my for preparation that I would listen to the message and just freshen it up or do some things and try to present the message again. I found that when you try to duplicate something that comes from your heart with your mind, it can begin very mechanical. Just bang that around a second. When you try to duplicate something that comes from your heart, with your mind, it can just become mechanical. And I know when the Lord is speaking to me, and the Lord said, Tom, I, I, don't, I don't want you to do the mechanics of it. I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, just play the message. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. It's 40 minutes if you want to set your timer. It's 7.17. I mean this as kindly as I can. I, I couldn't preach this message the way that God, tonight, the way that God gave it to me on March 1st. And so I'm going to play the message. I'm going to ask you and beg you to be engaged. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be there. I thought about creating a hologram for making me here. But it didn't work. I need you to have your Bible. I need you to have your pen. I need you to have your heart. I need you to have your ears. And I need you to stay engaged. And the whole time you're listening to this message, I want you to think about your home. And you're going to listen to a message tonight that was an introduction to this series, but really and truthfully, the title of it is, What Makes a Home Christian? I would ask those of you that are watching online, if you would please share this service right now. I'm asking those of you that are in the audience to make sure you share it if you have a social media platform. Because I think what God did for us on that Sunday night introducing this series on a Christian home is something that every home ought to listen. Thank you for being patient with me. If it's awesome after church, you can say so. If it's awful, keep your opinion to yourself. Just kidding. God bless you. Let's play the message. And be seated, if you would, please. Take your Bible. Find your way to the book of 2 Timothy tonight. 2 Timothy will be our opening text for 
our Sunday night series that I believe and trust that will take us through the end of March as we spend five or six weeks here uh, on a subject that the Lord laid on my heart. I told you about the time that I went away and asked God for a preaching direction, and during that time, God laid on my heart the opportunity to preach on the subject of a Christian home. I have not preached a series of messages on the home in some time. I think we reference the home often as we preach through the Word of God, but this would be the first time that um, we set aside and have a concentrated focus. I had the wonderful privilege as a young man and as a boy to grow up in a Christian home. I'm wondering out there, if you believe that you grew up in a Christian home, would you just raise your hand? You feel like you had that wonderful privilege as well. Okay, not every hand, but most of the hands. I know that I do have in my heart, in my mind, as I had children, and um, as Bev and I began to nurture our children, that we desire today to have a Christian home. Um, I do believe that the home, as as a just a generic unit, whether Christian or non-Christian, is fiercely under attack today as to the way that God had organized and planned the home. But I do think also that Christian homes are under attack. And I would say that one of the vast attacks on the Christian home, and I mean this kindly, is just simply ignorance. Um. Ignorance, not in necessarily knowing how to organize a home, but ignorance as to what the Bible says that a Christian home ought to be. Um, just because that a person makes an acknowledgement that they have a Christian home, or just because you have Christian pictures or verses on the wall of your house, or just because you are organized in a certain way, does not necessarily mean that you have a Christian home. And I, I would submit to you right at the beginning that a fake Christian home can do tremendous damage to the people in that home. And I'm finding a lot of Christian people, when, when, I, when they visit me and we revisit their life and revisit their environment and revisit their homes, they, they grew up in homes that were Christian in name, Christian on Sunday, Christian in appearance, but they were not Christian inside the walls of their home. And that that hypocrisy or that double standard, it, it stays with a man, it stays with a woman, it, it buries deep within their mind, it buries deep within their heart, and many times as they get married and they try to move forward in, in organizing a Christian home, uh, the background of that suffers from that. And so I wanted to be very practical in, in my series on the Christian home. Um, in no way, shape, or form am I telling you that I have a perfect home. Nobody has a perfect home. All of our homes are homes that are, are sinners saved by grace, right? And so sometimes people judge their spirituality or their Christianity based on how they interpret their home. 
Um, I've had good faithful parents that their children have not followed in the faith. I have people that have done certain things and they kind of feel like, well, the problems in their home um, just uh, are a result somehow of their failure or whatever. And some of that may be true, but every Christian home has problems. Just because you have a problem doesn't mean that your home is necessarily out of order. I think how you handle problems is the evidence of how your home is ordered. And so, in studying and preparing for the message, I, I visited homes in the Bible. And looking at the homes in the Bible, really and truthfully, the topics that I want to cover in this series have kind of just leapt off the page. For example, tonight in the home of Timothy, I, I want to speak to you on the subject of what makes a home Christian. What makes a home a Christian home. And I think that Paul's reference to the home life of Timothy will help us there. Um, I Moving forward, I want to visit the home of Moses. And I want to use Moses' mother and father to explain to you the importance of the world view that your home has. A Christian home should have a Christian worldview. A Christian home should have a biblical worldview. Um, and that's going to be different than culture. That's going to be different than the politics. That's going to be different than the education system. But Christian people who desire to have a Christian home, that Christian home must be founded on a biblical worldview. If you believe that, would you say amen? You'd be shocked at how many Christians do, don't, 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 homes aren't satisfied there. For example, if you ask people, do you believe in traditional marriage? Mm, mm. What do you think about life? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about these issues? As, as surveyors are coming inside our churches, and I say our churches when I mean Baptist churches, you're, you're going to find that Christian people that think they have a Christian home have a non-biblical world view. And by the way, we believe the Bible is ultimate truth, right? And so our homes are to be built on that. Moses, the Bible says when he, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had, he had a biblical worldview. I'll show it to you from the book of Hebrews. I, I want to take you to Lot. To the home of Lot. If you were to read of Lot only in the book of Genesis, you would not, you would question whether he was a believer or not. I don't know anybody, I do know one other person that suffered in their home worse than Lot did, and I'll give you his name in a moment. Lot lost his wife, he lost his children, he lost his daughters to a worldly viewpoint. And I, I want to go into the home of Lot and I want to show you how a Christian home, not only does it have a biblical worldview, but it also is separated from the world. Um, it's separated in its practice. It's separated in its doctrine. It's separated in, in, in all kinds of areas. And the last thing that a, that a true Christian home ought to be is worldly. A true Christian home ought not to be a presentation of the world. We ought to be a presentation of the Christ that saved us. Right? So... Um, our Christian homes, if they don't have a biblical worldview, means they have a worldly worldview. 
And we're to be separated from the world. If, you're, if your home as a Christian home is not separated from, from the world. And when I say the world, I don't mean people. I mean from that system that is anti-God. That system of governing that is against the word of God or apart from the word of God. I, I want to go to Achan. And I want to visit the home of Achan. Because Achan was a dad that destroyed his home. You, you know the name Achan. If you know the name Achan, say, say amen. Okay, not very many. You remember when the children of Israel came into the promised land, the first city they took was what? Jericho, right? They walked around the walls on the seventh time. They walked around it seven times, seven days, seven times, and the walls fell in. God told them, don't touch the spoil of that city. God told them that that spoil was really to go to him. God said, in your mind, it's to be an accursed thing. Achan took what he should not have took in disobedience. I'll actually show you that the disobedience from Achan was really the tithe. God wanted the, the spoil of Jericho as that first city in the promised land as the tithe to him for what he was going to do. Achan, in disobedience, stole God's tithe. You want to do damage to a Christian home, steal God's tithe. He took that in disobedience, and he came inside of his home, and he buried the accursed thing. Nobody knew it was in his home except who? God. And I can go through the scripture and I can show you where, where other things are called accursed in the scripture. A Christian home is, is, is free from the buried of the accursed thing, which means mom and dad or single person. I don't bury disobedience. I don't bury unbelief. I don't bury worldly things. I don't have a secret stash. I don't have a private room. I don't bury within my home that which God calls accursed. Just because nobody else may know it's there, God knows it's there. Right? So, so, so this is how a Christian home operates. Blows my mind every time Comcast calls me. I have a great time with the Comcast people. Mr. Hunter, we've reviewed your situation. I know you have. Mr. Hunter, we're letting you know that you're ready for an upgrade. Wonderful. Tell me about it. Oh, Mr. Hunter, we can give you way more than what you're getting now for less money. Awesome. I'm excited about that. Tell me. And we'll even include the premium channels. No, thank you. Excuse me? No, thank you. I don't want the accursed thing in my house. That's just me. Your house may be different. But I'm careful about what I let come into my home that gets buried in the niche of my home. I don't want anything in there that's not, that's not, that could be used, sin in my life or displeasing to the Lord. By the way, what happened to Achan and his family? They burned him. They killed him. He destroyed his family. I want to take you to, um, Joshua's home. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua had his home biblically ordered and biblically operating. And so as on a Christian home level, there, there is a manual. I remember sometimes I talk to people and they say, Pastor, I wish a manual came with these kids because I don't know what I'm doing. 
a manual did come. It's called the Word of God. And the manual's there for every aspect of our life and every aspect of our homes. And so our homes are to be biblically ordered and they're to be biblically operated in, which will look vastly different than, than the homes of the world. So these are topics and things that I want to talk with you about. And so make your way, if you would, please, to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And I want to visit tonight the home of Timothy. You know Timothy to be the young preacher boy uh, of the Apostle Paul. Many people believe that the Apostle Paul won Timothy to the Lord. I would say that he may have been the one to receive the increase, but the seed and the, of the planting of the seed of the gospel and the watering of the gospel, I think was done inside Timothy's home. And I, I want to draw your attention to this home because I do believe that you find in Timothy's home the purpose of a Christian home. And I believe as you look at the purpose of a Christian home, you're also going to see what actually makes a home a Christian home. And, and then how that, how that comes to play in the daily life of our, of our, of our organization. And so when you come to Chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, Paul is greeting Timothy. Verse number 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. And then in his encouragement, he, he's encouraging Timothy in the faith that he has, but he gives us a glimpse of how he received that faith. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned or the genuine or pure faith that is in thee, which dwelt, what's that word class? First, in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So Paul's encouraging Timothy in his faith. He's encouraging him and strengthening him. And he reminds Timothy of where that faith came from. And in the remembrance of that, of where the reminding of that, where that faith came from, he kind of gives us a glimpse into the home life of Timothy, all the way from his grandmother to his mother. Turn the page, if you would, and look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 14. As Paul continues to encourage Timothy in, in his future, he encourages him to continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Okay? And that from a, what's the word? Child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in, say his name, Christ Jesus. I, I love these verses because I find in these verses what I do believe to be three purposes of a Christian home. Before I came to church tonight, I asked Allie, she was sitting on the couch, and she was doing her homework. I said, Allie, let me ask you a question. Is she in the building tonight? She's in children's choir. Good. So she won't kill me for this illustration. Uh, don't tell her about this illustration. I said, Allie, if you had to define a Christian home, what would you define as a Christian home? It's interesting. The first thing out of her mouth, she said, does the home have children or not? 
okay. She said, and, and she went on to give me an answer if the home had children about the responsibility to teach children. She said, if the home did not have children, then there's the responsibility to live unto the Lord. And uh, she, got, she got pretty close. I, I want you to write down three things that I believe are the purpose of a Christian home. Number one, and I think from the text here you can see this. The purpose of a Christian home is that that home brings glory to God. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, let it be done unto the glory of the Lord. Your home, as a Christian home, ought to be a place that God gets glory in and that God gets glory through. Pastor, how does God get glory in and how does God get glory through my home? I think that you will find the answer to that is the fact of the wisdom of the scriptures. Um, Paul's telling Timothy to continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. And so the one way that God gets glory in our homes is as our homes are founded on the word of God and the spirit of obedience is upon the word of God, God is glorified in our home and then God is glorified through our home. So if you're a single person in this room tonight and you're not married and you don't have children, your home ought to be a home that glorifies God. Okay, If you're a married one without children, then your home ought to be a home that glorifies God. If you are a family and you have children, that's the, that's the primary purpose of our home. It's not to glorify us. It's not to glorify anything else. It's to glorify the Lord. Number two, it's to be a light of the gospel to others. A Christian home is to reflect the saving grace of the Lord. Your neighbors ought not only know that you have a Christian home because you tell them you're a Christian, but they ought to see the evidence of Christ in your home. So you have two purposes here. Number one, my home ought to bring glory to the Lord. Number two, my home ought to be a light to others for the gospel sake. Um, when you think about that, uh, there's a lot there that, can, uh, that I could go on to deal with. The third thing that, that is uh, the purpose of the Christian home is that our faith is passed down. Timothy is the product of a home that was Christian that understood its purpose. The number one or, or part of the overall purpose that your home has as being a Christian, especially if there are children, is that the faith in the Lord Jesus is passed down to them. The number one concern of every home with children ought not to be whether they win a trophy in sports. It ought to be whether they have received Jesus Christ. And mom and dad, that's your primary responsibility. Your primary responsibility prior to that child leaving your home is to make sure that that child believes in the Jesus that you believe in. Very, very um, difficult. Something that God has to enable us to do. Um, and sometimes parents get so confused on this because they, they, they don't understand how to biblically organize their home. 
So what they want to do is they try to build a, a white picket fence around their home, which means they don't let their children play with the neighbor's children. They don't let their children do this or they don't let them do that. And they, they teach them Bible verses and they structure things to be Christian. And they try to keep all the evil outside of their home. Parent, you need to understand the evil's not just outside your home. It's in that child's heart. Right? So, so your responsibility as a parent is to organize that home so that your child's heart can be revealed prior to them leaving your home. And as their heart is revealed as a sinner, then they would receive the Lord Jesus. You don't want a child to leave your home and you think they're a Christian and they're not. Very difficult to navigate that because you have to give opportunity for your child to be exposed. Sometimes a parent doesn't want their child to be hurt. Uh, sometimes a, char- a parent tries to run interference spiritually for their child. But, but your child doesn't disobey because they're tired. I hear that all the time. Pastor, he, he's jumping all over your leg. He's being completely disobedient. He's just tired. Well, why is he jumping all over my leg if he's tired? Right? They kind of make excuses for the child's behavior. I love that, you know. Oh, they haven't had their nap. They haven't had their Bible. They've been up a long time. I understand those things feed into it, but really and truthfully, our children are born sinners. Right? And, and you can't, you can't excuse that away. So, so the primary purposes of our home, I think as you find in Timothy, um, especially based on the product of what happened there, is that our home is to glorify the Lord. Our home is to be a light for the gospel or a testimony of salvation to those that are around us. And then the purpose of our home is that our faith is passed down to our children. Now, we can't force them to do that. They have to do that willingly. But I promise you that there's enough Bible verses in this in, in our Bible that teach us how to have that to happen. Understanding the purpose leads me to make sure that we understand with such a a sincere purpose that we understand what makes a home a Christian home. Well, I think that 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 is answered in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 5. And I think it's answered in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse number 15. And really and truthfully, what makes a home a Christian home is the same thing that makes you a Christian. Let me ask you this question. Ultimately, what makes you a Christian? Okay. Ultimately, there is the hearing of the gospel that confronts me. How shall they hear without a preacher? Confronts me about my sin. Tells me about who God is. There's a belief that comes from my heart confessing myself a sinner and acknowledging the Lord Jesus. In that evidence to that belief, there is the call of faith or the prayer of faith or the crying out to the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But ultimately, at that point, what makes you a Christian, what makes you the temple of the living God, what makes you a habitation of God, is that God does what? He indwells you. Nobody is a Christian that's not indwelt by the Spirit of God. So, so the same thing that makes you a Christian 
is what makes your home a Christian home. And that is the only one that has the ability to do that. And that is Christ himself. Only when Christ is in the home, is the home truly a Christian home. I'm going to say that again because that was quote worthy. Only when Christ is in the home, is that home truly a Christian home. You can have all the Bible verses on the walls of your house. That doesn't mean that Christ is in that home. You can even want to rear your children according to the word of God. That that does not mean that Christ is in that home. So think with me. How does Christ enter into a home? If Christ is going to enter into a home, he enters into that home through, starts with a P, people, people. So if my home is going to be a Christian home, what makes my home Christian? It's not my declaration. It's not my behavior. It's not that I go to church. It's not that I talk about God. It's not that I uh, use the word of God in, in, in directing. The actual evidence that my home is Christian is that Christ is in my home. And the only way that Christ is in my home is the fact that he's in my home through the people of my home. What, and that is evidence here. Look, if you would, at verse number five. And when I call to remembrance the genuine or unfeigned faith, that is is where in right in look at the verse in the which what's that word dwelt that word means to in, inhabit as one's abode right uh that means to settle down to be fixed to dwell so he says the faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother then in that, and then which I am persuaded in the mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. And the faith that he's talking about there is the saving faith in which the Lord Jesus brings to us. So the what what makes a home Christian is is the actual presence of Christ, and that presence of Christ in the people of the home. Well, Pastor, I'm in trouble because my my husband's not Christian, therefore my home must not be Christian. No, I think I can show you from the word of God that it only takes one person with Christ in them to make that home a Christian home. I, I want to praise God for that, right? What's the evidence of that? When you come to verse number five, who's missing in Timothy's life right here? His dad. So to all of you that are married to an unsaved person, don't you dare think for a moment that you, you can't have a Christian home. Well, pastor, you don't understand. He fights me or she fights me and there's a disagreement there. And you don't understand that, that there's some difficulty there. I, I do understand that. But 
Christ in you, the way he was in Lois and in Eunice, Timothy's dad we know was a Greek, which in, in not only nationality, but in belief against the Lord. There was one person in that home, or two people in that home, and, and that knew the Lord, and Christ was in them, and therefore they had a Christian home that glorified God, that was a light and a testimony to others, and that had a product coming out of that, where that faith was passed down. If you are a young person here tonight and your mom and dad are not Christian, then Christ in you brings the ability for you to have a Christian home. Why why are you why are you driving in that so so powerfully? Because there's confusion in how how we're organizing our homes. For example, Give me, I had a lady, she was saved, her husband wasn't, and, and he drank alcohol. She didn't like it, and she was trying to Christianize him. So what she did was she opened up the refrigerator, took those yellow post-it notes on, and every can of his beer, she wrote a Bible verse. What did you tell her to do? Stop it. Right? Right? So, so sometimes the way that one spouse tries to reach the other spouse for, for the Lord is, is through some rituals, through some Christianity, through some type of religious approach that, that really tries to make them Christian in their behavior without ever having Christ as their Savior. You'll never be Christian in your behavior without having Jesus as your Savior, right? So don't get the cart before the horse. So here, as, as, Timothy's home made Christian by the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ in grandma, the presence of Christ in his mother, and eventually the presence of Christ in him. I say that to say this. When you're organizing your home as a Christian home, there, there, there must be not only Christ in person in that home, but there must be Christ in practice of that home. So, so most of the time, parents that deal with rebellious children, if you navigate your way through where they are and stop trying to force Christianity upon them and take a moment and look at them, you will find that the reason they don't respond to biblical direction or Christian direction is because Christ is not in them. You want to frustrate somebody, try to make them Christian without being saved. Right? So, we have to be careful in our homes of the aroma or the flavor or the spirit of our homes. So when you're organizing your home as a Christian home, what makes it Christian is the presence of Christ, and Christ must be the theme of our home. So the last thing you want to do is do something in your home because that's the Christian thing to do. The reason you want to operate within your home or the theme of your home, is because that is what the Lord would want us to do. So sometimes, Christian homes, they have all the rules, they have all the regulation, they have all the ritual, they have all the religion, but they don't have the beauty of the fragrance of the person of Jesus Christ. So help me with this verse. 
The letter of the law killeth, but the spirit giveth what? Life, right? So here's a young man, Timothy, whose dad is is an unbeliever. Here's a young man growing up with his grandmother and his mother, and he wants the Jesus that's in them. How, How does that even happen? I promise you it wasn't because they told Timothy, this is what you need to do. This is how this is going to be organized. This is the Christian thing to do. These are the, these are the rules. These are the regulations. This is what we will do. This is what we won't do. This is what we will say. This is what we don't say because we're Christian. No, 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 no. The presentation in that home was the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. Tell me you understand that. See, faith, when you talk about faith, and you go to the book of Hebrews, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay? And so, where we forget in the organization of our home sometimes, is that you don't see the Spirit of God in, in person, but you see the beauty of the Spirit of God as He operates in your home. And we have to be careful that our homes are not built purely on tradition or organized in regulation, and they're not organized in the person of Christ. When my dad confronted me as a young man, he always confronted me with the Lord. He didn't drive me to what the Christian ought to do or what the preacher's kid ought to do or what, what, what I ought to do in some case. It was always that personal relationship with the living Lord. In our house... We wanted Jesus to be pleased. Jesus was everywhere in our house. He was proclaimed in our house. He was preached in our house. He was worshipped in our house. He was loved in our house. He was a real person in our house. And he ought to be a real person in your house. And when you, when you begin to organize your home around the person of the Lord, and not just around the procedures of Christianity... He begins to bring life. He begins to bring kindness. He begins to bring reality, love, acceptance, forgiveness, all of these things. If, if we just lay out the rules and the regulation of Christianity, but we don't exalt the person of Christ, then, then it's so damning on us and we run into ourselves. I cannot do the Christian thing without the help of Christ. And neither can you. And so what makes a home Christian. It's the presence of Christ in that home. How does Christ become present in that home? He becomes present in that home in people. It does not take the whole house to for the, be the presence of Christ to be a Christian. It just takes one person. And then as that one person allows the, 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 the Holy Spirit of God to work out in them and reflect the beauty of the Lord and reflect the power of the Spirit of God, you will find better than a bath and body candle is the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. Right? And that's what makes your home Christian. You ever walk into somebody's home and you just feel the presence of the Lord? That, that is a home that understands the, the spirit work of the Lord Jesus in that home. And we, we've got to learn how to let him be the theme of our lives. Now, mom and dad, single person, 
nothing will extinguish the beautiful fragrance of a Christian home like hypocrisy. See, disobedience immediately breaks fellowship with us and the Lord. We understand that, right? It's very difficult for a home to be presented as a Christian home by the leader of that home if the leader of that home is not right with the Christ of that home. We used to say it this way, more is caught than it is taught. Don't do as I do. Do as I... You, you, you might as well just damn your kid straight to hell. You, 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 can't tell, you can't tell anybody in that home, don't do as I do. Do as I say. You, 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 you've just stripped every ability you have to navigate the purpose of that home. We're not only to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word of God. So you have a grandmother in Eunice. You have a mother in Lois who understand, understood the person of Christ in their home. They understood the person of Christ in them. They understood the glory of the Lord. They understood that their home was to be. The testimony was supposed to be. And then as they, as the fragrance of Christ through their life, uh, aroma that home, it became attractive to their son. If you're married to an unsaved person, the Lord Jesus working in and through you has the ability to win them to the Lord. Way better is the Spirit of God working in you than you giving them Bible verses or spiritual direction all the time. You, you cannot in your home expect Christianity without first there being Christ in the life of somebody. In our Christian homes, here, here's what hypocrisy does. Hypocrisy immediately moves to the Christian thing to do as opposed to doing something from the Lord. It immediately moves away from that personal responsibility and authority to the person of Christ, and it moves into a general direction of Christianity. And here's the problem. Especially as we're not in the Word of God and we're not led by the Spirit of God, we're not, we're not spiritually in tune enough ourselves to know how to navigate our homes. So what we do is we begin to respond how we think a Christian home ought to operate. Well, my friend, how you think a Christian home ought to operate is not important. How God thinks it ought to operate is very important. Amen? So my responsibility then is to get into the Word of God. But what makes a home Christian is the presence of Christ. What makes a home purposeful is the, is the practice of the person of the Lord. So as you're navigating your way through your home, you're in constant communication with the Lord. I do this because it's pleasing to the Lord. I don't do this because I don't think the Lord would want me to do this. I actually tell my children, kids, that we do this because in this home, I want the Lord to be pleased. Not because, I'm not asking you to do this because you're the pastor's kid. I'm not asking you to do this because that's the Christian thing to do. Those things are not sustainable. But as I exalt the Lord Jesus, 
He becomes, he becomes attractive. He becomes those things that give purpose and power and direction. But I cannot be hypocritical in myself as the leader of our homes. I think it's a wonderful place to begin tonight to understand that what makes our home Christian is the pr- same thing that makes you a Christian is the person of Christ. What makes that home uh, Christian home in its practice is as the life of Christ is practiced in and through us. Jesus is a real person. And you got to organize your home around him. Not, a, not around ritual, regulation, rules, and direction. You would not have received the Lord based off of rules and regulation. It wasn't until you met him as a person that you fell down and received him. That's where our homes begin. Now, as he's in our home, and we have the word of God in our home, now he begins to build through his word a biblical worldview in our home. And I'll talk to you next week about establishing a biblical worldview in your home. Shall we pray? And shall we pray? Heavenly Father, God, what a joy, what a privilege it is to hear the word of God. Thank you for meeting with us tonight. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. No one, including this preacher, could escape the working of the Holy Spirit of God. God, Give us Christian homes. Give us a desire to have a Christian home. May our homes glorify you. May they be a light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may the faith of, in Christ be passed down to our children. I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed. Just wanted to give you a moment, privately, personally, with you and the Lord in your home. So the message series was introduced. How are you on the purposes? How are you on what makes a home Christian? How is the flavor and the aroma of your home? I trust that every one of us are thinking about our homes. I give you a moment between you and the Lord quietly. Maybe there's somewhere you want to tell God, God, do a work in my heart during this series. God, I release my home to your organization. God, lead me clearly in how I should be in my home. God, give us unity in my home. God, let those purposes unfold in my home. Those of you that are online, take this moment as well. With our heads still bowed, just a moment. Maybe you're here tonight. 
Christ is not in you. You've not believed upon him. You've not opened your heart to him. Right where you sit, you could do that tonight. In the quietness of your heart, you could simply say, I believe on you, Lord Jesus. I receive your payment for the covering of my sin. Best I know how, I believe you died and you were buried and you rose again. And I want you to redeem me, cleanse me, change me. And I take you as my Lord tonight. And I open my heart to you. And then you'd simply just say something about, thank you God for saving me. Take me to heaven when I die. I wonder with nobody looking, just me. Anybody in the room tonight open their heart to Jesus and you would testify that by the raising of your hand. I will not embarrass you. I'll just say, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Pastor, I open up my heart tonight to the Lord. Okay. Thank you, God, for doing this wonderful work in this person's heart. Thank you for the reception of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that you are to them and to us. We love you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Next Wednesday, I'll preach to you on the subject of the importance of having a biblical worldview in a Christian home. When you think about the worldviews that are being presented to your home, everything from what's in the news media, everything that's been in our streets, everything that's in our institutions, everything that's on social media, your home is being bombarded with view. Our responsibility as a Christian home is to make sure that within our home, it's a biblical worldview. And so I'll preach to you about the importance of that. We'll visit Moses' home. And I trust that God will do a wonderful work. I trust you'll stay with me during this series. At the end of this series, our homes are different. Thank you so much. I chose a song to go home tonight. It's uh, entitled, Find Us Faithful. It speaks about all that come behind us in our lives, that they would find us faithful. I hope that's the desire of our hearts tonight for our homes. Let's stand. Let's sing. We'll be dismissed. God bless you. See you on Sunday. light their way may the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives will live inspire them to obey oh may all who've come behind us find us faithful good night everyone you are dismissed